essentially our thesis was the DevX for the graph is pretty terrible. Just getting something to production, there's a high barrier to entry, like has multiple languages like WebAssembly, JavaScript. You can't kind of test things out locally. You have to like deploy to production in, in most cases. So let's say you have like a bug in your code, you deploy it to production. And all these index jobs, if they're big, they can take hours or even days in some cases to finish. Uh, so let's say you kind of deploy something, then you wait a day and then you see it and then it's broken, then you have to go back. Uh, so we've like built, built it out as like completely open source software tool. You can test things out locally. Everything's in like TypeScript, which for the users that are actually gonna be using it, they're gonna be much more familiar with. Also gives like a lot of more user-friendly features. Welcome everybody to another Deus Ex Dao podcast. And in this episode, we are joined by Matt from Robolabs, and he's also known as SafetyBot on Twitter. Uh, with me is uh, Zero X Brucey as my co-host. Hello, Brucey. Hey guys, I'm excited to be here. Good to catch up with Matt. Yeah, because we're actually catching up. Uh, we've, we've been supporters of RoboVault and RoboLabs for quite a long time. We actually helped them out during the RoboVault days, but they pivoted to a new product. And I think that's what this episode will be about, but also about like how teams can improve their infrastructure. But without further ado, uh, welcome, Matt, to our podcast. Good to have you on. Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good, good chat sit down and have a chat about what we're doing, give you guys an update. Yeah, and if you can kick it off by telling us what RoboLabs is, um, that would be great. Yeah, so uh, essentially we're a very small uh, Web3 startup. Our main focus is helping other teams uh, build out their tooling and infrastructure. Uh, so our core product, Archiver, is designed to help teams basically implement endpoints and index on-chain data and actually implement that to various applications. Uh, and as a company, we've been around for, actually been like well over two years now, uh, I think if, if I'm correct. <laughs> it's it's been, been a long time. So initially we started the company by launching a DeFi product, Robovault. Uh, we decided to pivot away from that at the start of this year to do more of the tooling infrastructure uh, based off yeah, a number of different reasons. And so so far that direction's I think going going quite well, although it's still in early stages. I think it was actually very brave uh, to, to pivot. And I think we see a lot of teams in crypto often just continuing with their, their car products, just burning through like uh, funding or their own energy. And eventually they, they let it die without a clear, clear ending. Um, so I, I, I love that you made the decision and it 
it wasn't an easy one but uh, to pivot but what were the reasons for for pivoting from uh, from robo fault yeah so i think there was a bunch of stuff that really played into it so we had i mean with robovault the product was almost an accident so uh, like the way it started was just myself and my co-founder like oh this could be a cool fun thing to build let's build these delta neutral strategies see how they go launch it on phantom when kind of the old layer one <clears throat> cycle was was going crazy uh just launched it for fun and then yeah it went from zero to like 50 mil tvl in a few months and then went from that to a vulnerability again discovered us being able to like rescue it uh and yeah we continued operating it for a while but basically we found it was really hard to continue innovating like operating these delta neutral strategies uh basically like so much of our time has been spent in operations like managing just infrastructure like tools that we built for ourselves to actually make the protocol work uh and then market conditions was like another big thing so with the delta neutral strategies we were operating they did really well when the market was good <laughs> like we were getting i think there was a period like our first 6 months it was first of months was like 20 plus percent yield on stables uh without any like tokens uh and then like that kind of just was slowly declining and then you kind of had increase in risk free rates so people's risk appetite just wasn't there so like our tvl was like slowly dropping i probably could have done some stuff like launch a token and maybe like gain a bunch of tvl but we saw that would just be like a band-aid solution that wouldn't really like create any like long lasting differentiated product um yeah and then the other thing was doing these kind of advanced strategies like the time to actually get them live to production and deployed because you're in doing it in like a permissionless smart contract anyone can interact with the amount of like effort to do that to get it secure is like really high and even if you like do all the right things still stuff can go wrong and you could just lose millions a lot of people's money straight away and we thought like actually if we really want to go this route it would be so much easier to do it via like operating a hedge fund essentially and we didn't really want to go that route uh but what we did say was actually like we've had so much issues with tooling infrastructure we've built so much stuff for ourselves operating this there's probably like a huge market for this just father teams to use products that we've built for ourselves. Uh so yeah that's probably a pretty pretty long answer but uh <laughs> well it's yeah. a, it's a good explanation of the arc and there are a bunch of things I want to touch on here like first of all you have experienced so many of the pain points that blockchain developers um and operators face that it's so logical for you to pivot into I guess productizing the tools you made for yourself. So I I feel like that is a great way to start a business because you're scratching your own itch and you're pretty certain that that exists for other people. Um the the other thing I just want to backtrack a little bit to the RoboVault days. 
you know, when you first caught our attention, it was because you seemingly were so thorough and aware about the risk. And, you know, this was at the time where, of course, we had yearn, but more complex yield strategies were coming up like yourselves. We had beefy, some others. Um, and all that time, you guys survived unscathed. And I, I think like that is something to be hugely proud of. And I totally can relate to the fact that you're saying too that, you know, if you wanted to bump the yield and be more aggressive with strategies, well, with that speed of deployment also is kind of a trade-off against, okay, you know, the faster we are to market, the less certain we're going to be that this is foolproof um, and going to be safe. And um, I think having worked with you guys closely, you know, we've experienced that that really um, existed for you, that risk. And also I feel like that burden of responsibility. Um, so for us, it's felt so natural that you made that pivot for all those reasons. And I think it's with security, it's a lot of it's just things you can't even control. Like in DeFi, if you're building a product on top of other products, there's always that counterparty risk. Uh, like you don't, you know, there is like a risk something like an RV does actually fail. Um, yeah, it's, it's relatively low, I'd say, but you know, it could happen. Um, it could break. We don't know if we saw kind of the curve stuff. Uh, I think like a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, insane. Yeah, it make, so, makes you think that anyone still building DeFi is like such a fucking savage and um, yeah. has to be also, you know, you have to really uh, be comfortable with that uh, edge case risk existing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, like it's definitely, that's another thing. It's like, it is very stressful when you're kind of like pretty much every day when you, like when we were operating, like most myself and my co-founder, we just had this. You every day you wake up like is today the day that we wake up to everything is gone um, because you just never like you know um, you could have like the most confident smart contract devs, most confident auditors, um, but yeah, as a developer, you I think like I don't know, you always there's always going to be some doubt that what you've built maybe had some flaw in it, um, and because DeFi is still very immature uh, in a lot of aspects. Uh, can, can never, never like be hundred percent certain. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's a tough, tough thing as well for founders. It <laughs> brings it. me all, always to the question whether like composability is a, is a bug or a feature, uh, which is a harsh statement. But I I'm wondering what your stance is on that. Yeah, I think it's like a feature. Um, it, it's just like kind of chaos. It's, I think like the way I look at it is the same to like kind of talks about every time like an airplane crashes or the entire like system gets better. So I think like you have this very chaotic system every time, you know, like a protocol gets hacked or something breaks. Uh, then, you know, every developer can like learn from it and incrementally like do better in terms of how composability works. Like actually like the base layer building blocks, whether that be like the very base layer primitives being more secure as well, uh, learn, learn from those mistakes. Um, yeah, so I just think of it as kind of the feature of being like a permissionless 
system is you get the bad events, but they're getting covered. Everyone can learn from them much faster. Whereas I'm sure in like Web2, there's so much like hidden vulnerabilities, things breaking that no one actually is like learning from. Um, well, one, one criticism to that point of view, which I think is a good one, like looking at aviation is the reason there those learnings have to be embedded in new protocols is also because it's a regulated industry here that doesn't exist so the fact that some people learned about you know the takeaways of, of that uh, exploit doesn't mean everyone else does and they're still going to have an incentive to launch a token to sell to some unsuspecting retail mm -hmm. so i think it's so nuanced and um mm -hmm. therefore people have to be very mindful about what they interact with you know and whether the, those teams are top class uh yeah. but, but totally agree like net net things should be getting better over time yeah yeah i think it's yeah i mean like honestly like no one knows what's gonna happen in terms of like the regulation thing but my view is it's i don't know i feel like similar to a lot of people in crypto it's kind of like i have a view like i know that i can lose all this money <laughs> at any point in time that i put into like certain protocols so i know it's like a risk and yeah, it's like the burdens on the the person using it. Um, yeah, and if someone does some something like fraudulent, that should be like captured elsewhere. Like if you like commit fraud or like theft or uh, you should probably like I don't know could just do some like mob justice on them down instead <laughs> regulating anything. I think then we 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 should ask ourselves like what will help teams build these these solid projects. And um, I think let's go back to what you're building right now with, with, with RoboLabs, which is Archiver. And, um, but before, I think that's important to, to discuss, I think what, what problems do these teams normally have? Like one of them is smart contract risk, which we just talked about. Um, but there is, of course, a lot of data on chain and a lot of architecture you need to build to gather all that data and, and make it actually valuable for strategies or in real time in the app. Um, what problems do teams normally have with that? Yeah, so I think it really like varies team to team and like what type of product you're building, uh, what like your protocol is. But we, we generally found like just broadly um, really like getting enriched data from your like protocol and turning that into like actionable stuff is really tough. So uh, anything from like understanding user behavior, like, okay, let's say we were at 20 mil TVL and suddenly like our TVL has gone to 10 mil in the last week, we like lost 50% of our users. Um, like being able to track where those users went is like pretty useful uh, to understand, like, did they go to a competitor? Did they like just move funds off chain? Uh, and that, that data, you can't get it, but you like probably like have to go to a bunch of different sources. Uh, so it's one, one example. Uh, big thing for us was because we were doing these live strategies uh, that were essentially like doing active rebalancing uh, and depended on some risks like Oracle risks, we wanted to track 
the underlying like protocol and get like alerts if something went wrong we wanted to track our strategies was it the automation doing what it was supposed to we essentially like had to build our own infrastructure for that uh i think now there's like some other products doing like alerting and things uh but yeah that that in and of itself was like something that to build and was just like a huge pain point getting live you know security alerts to see what's going on and if something is is going wrong you can uh get alerted and ideally uh take action and and that system actually like saved us from potentially like uh some some things that could have broken and lost users funds on a few occasions uh so yeah, things like so, so for for the non-technical people listening so um could you help break that down? So for example, you're running a complicated strategy, let's say Delta neutral, it requires maybe rebalancing periodically, right? But, and this is my non-technical understanding is what then needs to happen is you need to be tracking what's happening on chain for which you might need a price feed, but maybe, maybe you got to index on chain data and then you might need to call, um, contracts that need to happen. Right. And there need to be triggers for all these things. Um, so. Yeah, is is that a correct understanding? And maybe then as a follow-up, could you talk about how, how you chose what part of that stack to kind of solve for first as a product? Yeah, so I guess in the Delta Neutral strategy, your goal is to essentially like hedge against market movements. So uh, essentially what you're doing is reacting to the market. So as if there's kind of, you might set some thresholds in your strategy, if the market moves a certain amount, you might do some rebalance of your portfolio. So it could be like a swap of one asset to another asset uh, to essentially rebalance the position. Uh, so in terms of like what that required, and this is not necessarily like 100% aligned with what we're doing now. Um, we're kind of touching on like part of it, but uh, it's not like our full like product because there's other products like Chainlink Automation that solve the automation role, but uh, essentially you would want to have some address that then would trigger that rebounds automatically. Uh, so like what could go wrong is you know, the keeper, which is what we call it, which is the address that triggers that transaction automatically could run out of gas <laughs> uh, or it could just fail, could like be submitting too much gas. Uh, uh, too low of a gas price, uh, so gas spikes. Uh, it's like two things could go wrong, uh, so it could just miss the transaction. Then if the transaction doesn't happen, then potentially you incur more losses. Then other things that could go wrong is, let's say your strategy involves lending and borrowing from Aave. What happens if Aave's Oracle breaks? Uh, so one thing that we would track was we track actually underlying Oracle prices versus centralized exchange prices and LP prices and see like, are these actually the Oracle returning true value? If not, we can see that in real time. And then actually like, looks like something's gonna happen with Aave, let's quickly get out, intervene as like kind of uh, a management multi-sig that can just like return, take funds out of the strategy. Uh, so yeah, that's like one example. And that actually did happen in 
uh, once when we're on Phantom uh, Scream, the like Linear Protocol they were using an aggregation of band and chain link, and essentially their aggregation broke <laughs> and it stopped getting the correct value. So if the market moved a lot, it would have pretty much like destroyed their whole protocol. Uh, and we were like able to catch that before them and be like, your Oracle's broken because uh, you're doing this aggregation and you weren't pointing to the proxy. Uh, you, they were pointing to like a implementation of the proxy, I think was, yeah, what happened. Great. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that happened. And um, I guess that's that's part of your previous point about uh, builders needing to be so on top of it, right? You need to be at your desk or uh, being able to be at your desk at any moment's notice when something like that happens. And ideally, you build fail safes and have the right tooling for that. Um, so, yeah, how did you think about then picking where to begin building a service stack? Because you made some tools yourself. And now you have the archiver product. Maybe walk us through that. Yeah, so I think essentially the step was at the start of the year, we pretty much we weren't 100% sure what we were going to do when we first pivoted. We were like, okay, Robovolt, do we think it's going to be like a game changer or not? Because um, if it's not, let's just shut it down. Like we don't have a token. We haven't launched token. We don't have any like commitments. We can just shut this product down, put go 100% all in on something else. And yeah, we're kind of thinking broadly. We're like tooling infrastructure is a space. We know we know we have like pretty big edge there. We know like the pain points really well, and we've already built all this stuff. Uh, so we started with a few different experiments. Um, one we already had kind of very early MVP of Archiver for something we built internally. We had some other stuff as well, like the alerting stuff that we built built internally for ourselves. And we also had some other stuff like backtesting tools that we built internally. Uh, so essentially what we did was a few different products just build out MVPs over the first two months after pivoting. So we build out an MVP of this denotify, like alerting tool, send it to a bunch of people. No one seemed that interested. They're like, oh, this is cool, but you know, I don't, don't really want to use it. Um, <laughs> seemed like people, people actually didn't really care that much about like real-time uh, security alerts. Um, Oh, yeah. So sorry, one question on that because it's interesting. Is that because everyone had built that themselves already, or was it just like people didn't understand the value? Uh, I think it was probably like us not necessarily like understanding the market that well. Uh, the reality was that had a lot of value for the type of product we were using. For other protocols, didn't necessarily like have as much value because a lot of times, if something breaks the alert doesn't matter because it's already broken and you've gotten hacked. Um, so there were, for us, we had this like case where these alerts were really valuable, but I think they were just not as valuable for like other protocols. So there just wasn't really like a huge market for it. Like it was interesting, but it wasn't anything like people were going to pay a lot for. And there are like some other solutions that already offer like pretty similar products that we feel we didn't really have a big edge over. Uh, yeah, so 
I think that was, that was our conclusion. Um, we think in the future that it probably is something that we'll offer like as part of archive because with the indexing, you can actually do some more advanced stuff that you couldn't with that MVP we built out. Um, but really, it's, I think it's like not like a core product. It's more like this is a feature that teams that are our users can access, uh, potentially even just like a free extra feature. Yeah. Cool. But Archiver, opposite experience, right? You felt like uh, people really wanted that. Yeah. So, yeah, essentially we felt, I guess we're still testing our assumptions, uh, like products still kind of in this private private beta stage. Uh, we're working with a few different teams, but yeah, we found like the users that have used it so far, um, that have used other solutions, feedback's been like really solid. So probably like the biggest competitor right now is the graph and subgraphs. Uh, we like we've our team has used the graph a lot um, in the past for like building with it. Essentially, our thesis was the DevX for the graph is pretty terrible. Just getting something to production, there's a high barrier to entry. Like it has multiple languages like WebAssembly, JavaScript. You can't kind of test things out locally. You have to like deploy to production. In, in most cases, so let's say you have like a bug in your code, you deploy it to production and all these index jobs, if they're big, they can take hours or even days in some cases to finish. Uh, so let's say you kind of deploy something, then you wait a day and then you see it and then it's broken, then you have to go back. Uh, so we've like built, built it out as like completely open source software tool. You can test things out locally. Everything's in like TypeScript, which for the users that are actually going to be using it, they're going to be much more familiar with. Also gives like a lot of more user-friendly features. Uh, and then also the other thing is just the backend side of things. Uh, I think, yeah, we had like a bunch of issues with subgraph, like reliability. I think other teams have as well. Um, not to like knock them. I think they have like pretty decent product, but I think, they are going to have, because they're going the very decentralized route, they're potentially going to have some issues um, long-term with just having a data product that can serve, serve like high volumes of data uh, in a high-performing way. And yeah, we've also, <clears throat> the other thing would just be like maintaining these jobs. Uh, at times you like might have to upgrade things. Let's say your protocol, you're moving to a new chain. Uh, you have to like redeploy in with a subgraph, you have to redeploy a new job. Uh, do everything again uh, with Archiver because you can do everything like multi-chain. Uh, it's like a very easy upgrade. Uh, like we're working with one team at the moment. <clears throat> They've got, they're on about 10 different chains and they before had like 10 different uh, subgraphs, uh, so one different domain for each different chain they're on and like just replicating that work. Uh, and then we like migrated them over to Archive recently for some stuff and it's just one job and it's kind of just <laughs> fewer, one, one extra line of code for each, each chain uh, that they're adding. Yeah, 
So really like, I guess, trying to make, we think we can make <clears throat> this developer experience of, of indexing data, building endpoints for various different ap applications a lot, a lot easier. I think uh, to, to make it also a little bit more um, speaking to, to the listener is that um, I, I think there was a tweet by Trader Joe and they asked teams to um, spin up an API with some of their, their data. And I think the, the total period for that competition was six weeks. And um, Smoothbot, one of the uh, RoboLabs team members, actually said, I think at, at around half an hour after a tweet, like, give me a few seconds. And I think an hour after that, or one half hour after that, he posted the API. Um, could, could you tell a little bit more about that? What happened there? Yeah, so I guess it was like a perfect example of the the use case. Like, actually, we didn't uh, qualify for the competition because the idea was they wanted be able to build something without using external tools. Uh, but yeah, essentially it was just a bit of fun. Uh, like set uh, Smoothbot, uh, my co-founder and our CTO, uh, we're just like, ah, oh, this could be fun. Let's see how fast you can do it with Archiver. And yeah, he just did it in, in less than an hour for something that was like a six week long competition. Um, and yeah, I guess it does kind of illustrate the problem a bit because a lot of teams do go out there and like build their own tools to do this stuff and potentially spend weeks or months of the developers time building something custom whereas we think you know we can give them this off the off the shelf solution that they can do like pretty advanced stuff with and just get something done a lot faster so yeah potentially saving weeks of dev time to, to get something live in in production uh yeah so i think that's probably yeah, a good good testament to just how how easy it is um to get get things live and the developer experience is actually uh, quite good <laughs> uh so that yeah and and what struck me because i've uh, used Archiver 2 um, and I'm not a developer so I <laughs> had luckily some help from, from Smoothbot but uh, was that it was a few scripts and the only things that needed to be added was uh, some some smart contracts, addresses um, the a AB like the the, uh, the ABI for the yeah. contracts yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, which, which you know is just from Etherscan uh, you can copy that and then need to determine like, what do I really need from the blockchain, uh, which in my case was some hourly data, but it was quite long back, um, which I think um, I, I couldn't have done that, for example, with June. Like I, I probably could have, but then I would have problems like uh, lining up that data. And right now, like just having the right contracts and events from these contacts to track, I just pulled all the data in. And like, that's, I, I think one of my problems with June is that you do a lot of data wrangling in June to get the data you need. Um, mm. But with, with Archiver, I, I saw like, I just want to have all that data and then I'll see what I actually need. That's, 
I that's how I like to work sometimes. Just give me the whole data set and then I start doing some stuff in Python. And I think this is just purely the data, historical data that, that I'm talking about. But that process was was actually quite easy. And you know, I could select the period, of course, it's just some parameters in a a code. Um and I think that's that's what I like. Like, you know, just give me the full bunch of data and and then I can start backtesting. But I think um, in addition to that, what these teams also need is just the real-time data from the blockchain. And um, I I think I'm, I, I want to get to the point is where sometimes we see some of these on-chain data providers, uh, especially the ones who um, uh, aggregate some data that it seems they're aggregating the same data or like working with the same KPIs, but then they end up with a slightly different or just a different result. And I think for some teams in this space, you would actually really want to go into that source data, like the raw data from uh, from the chain. And that's when you, you need this infrastructure. Um, so I, I think it's probably good if you need that very detailed information, especially on your own app uh, or on the apps you're depending your app on. Is, is that also how you see that? Like those are the best use case for archiving? Yeah, I guess uh, <clears throat> like we're actually still figuring out like what's the use case we really want to nail down on. So there's actually like a bunch of different use cases. So there could really be, I think what, what you're talking about Aperture is more like the data exploration analysis side. Um, and like the fact that you you said it was like good experiences, maybe maybe a bit too friendly. Uh, like there's actually, I'd say like a lot of stuff that we have in the pipeline to actually make it much more friendly as a like data exploration tool. Uh, that's potentially like high overhead uh, to make things like common data, et cetera. Um, and just like importing data like directly uh, to like being able to access archived via things like Python or exporting to CSV, et cetera, uh, things like that. But yeah, I think like in terms of primary use case, I think what we see like a lot of teams having issues with is they just need some enriched data. So could be like some historic combination of historical and lab data um, that you can't just get by calling RPCs directly because uh, the blockchain is like very limited in the data it can store. So there's just a lack of kind of insights you can gain. So being able to kind of write these custom scripts uh, that maybe let's say for a DEX, you want to see like volume, you want to see fees, uh, you want to see price movements, you want to see candles. Uh, if you were to say like, go and get that data, it's going to be really hard hard for you to get if it's not on somewhere like June already or uh, something's not already built for it. Uh, so having like this simple tool to build out this pipeline where you can then have that data, you have a really highly performing endpoint that you can plug into say dashboards or you know you can like extract the data for analysis 
Uh, you could even like push alerts based off it. Uh, so you could say like push like Discord messages if volumes gone above a certain amount or like the price has moved a certain amount. Uh, but yeah, like essentially providing teams the flexibility to do that. I think opens a lot of doors uh, to do a lot of different stuff. Uh, so so how, how are most teams dealing with indexing then? Because I remember uh, us talking to a protocol, uh, they were doing NFT analytics. One of the things they dealt with is they wanted enriched analytics to be available for their users on their front end. But since they required a lot of context on, let's say, NFT collection and uh, proxy audiences, you know, so uh, who should I target? Well, let's look at people who have a similar following to me and then see how their collections uh, have performed and who've bought them. For them, an issue they faced is, okay, well, they don't want to get the data from the blockchain constantly. No, they only need it when the user kind of is ready to pull it. But then there's a question of speed uh, the, and, and a question of cost. So could you explain that? How do most people uh, deal with this issue at the moment? Yeah, I'd say it depends on like the use case. Uh, for like Web3 protocols, uh, it's typically they're going to be using the graph and subgraphs uh, to like build out those endpoints. Or a lot of teams have something like custom. Uh, so... Yeah, essentially, like, <laughs> there are a bunch of teams we've spoken to that, like, yeah, we've just built our own indexing tool uh, because yeah, we didn't want to work with what was out there or it wasn't suitable for our needs. Uh, yeah, and, like, then other use cases, like, for example, like, MEV people have to, like, index data. Um, they'll typically build something custom as well um but i'd say like archive wouldn't be suitable for them uh because like speed is of the essence although we like are like focus on like speed and performance uh like mev is like a next next level uh whereas like we did right we uh but for uh, the prior use case sounds like archiver would be great fit yeah like essentially we think most Web3 teams can benefit from using our product. Um, I think like can solve a lot of a lot of pain points they have, uh, whether that just be like simple metrics or more complex data. Um, yeah, even things like internal like KPIs that you want to track and not necessarily like show show to the public and like things like could be like security stuff. I think there's like some some use case for that as well. Uh, yes, I think there's a lot we can we can solve. How are you thinking about pricing this? Is it volume based, based on calls or um, amount of data? Yeah, so essentially, we'll be like essentially like a tiered SaaS model. Uh, so I think we'll probably like have a freemium solution. Um, so like free tier gives you like <clears throat> very small amount of data and very small number of like API calls. So that I think just helps onboard new developers who maybe they're like, they're just like trying to launch their own Web3 product. Uh, or maybe they just want to like do some, they're not even building a product. They just want to like play around with data. Uh, 
give them like an entry point, like a tool that's easy to use. And then, yeah, depending on like going up uh, to like teams that are actually like using something in production, need something with high performance, uh, be like monthly fee, and that would kind of be tiered basically uh, going on storage and number of API calls. Uh, so we probably just have like one tier, you get this much storage, this many API calls. That makes sense. And it's really um, interesting to think about how this is going to allow people who either are junior blockchain devs or they're building something new to just get to shipping sooner. Uh, makes me think that this would be great, you know, for startup competitions, incubators, but also anybody who is building an MVP. Yeah, I think that's <clears throat> that's almost like our ideal user right now, because uh, those guys are also like more willing to give feedback, try it out, like a new tool. Uh, yeah, so definitely like that audience is someone we want to like hit, because um, if someone say like a team that already has a bunch of stuff built with some existing solutions, uh, even if potentially our tools going to be better long-term, there's going to be like some friction to switch over. Uh, like ideally we want to build some tools to make that like porting easier, but we haven't, haven't got there yet. Um, yeah. So right now there's like some friction of switching over. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But, um, uh, I wonder if you would find incubators and those kind of startup programs uh, receptive, you know, if you were to provide credits for free or this free plan. Um, I, I do think that those things are awesome. And looking at Web2, I know there are many parallels where, um, let's say, Y Combinator and also some funds, they provide a whole list of benefits to their teams, you know, AWS credits, uh, discounts on Notion, Airtable, those things. Uh, I can definitely imagine Archiver being part of such a stack for a, a new or junior, uh, right? New blockchain project or junior developers. Yeah, I think, yeah, that approach definitely like makes sense. Mm. One thing that we're a bit hesitant to do, like we haven't standardized our prices just yet. Um, still like figuring out like what are the price points gonna be? Um, what's gonna like make it compelling as a business? Uh, the other side of it is, like a lot of the work we've been doing the past few months has been actually kind of more hands-on building like bespoke solutions. Uh, so there's like kind of this alternate world where maybe like Archiver becomes something like an open source product. Um, it actually already is an open source product. Teams, if they don't want to like use our hosting, they can like host it themselves. Uh, the CLI is like all open source. So like a team can always like self-host if they want um, and kind of actually like could just be like an internal tool. Um, the main revenue driver potentially be becomes us doing more like custom bespoke solutions where we help teams implement archive for like these advanced use cases. I uh, see. So manage service versus do you build effectively, you know, platform, um, and both have its pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we're kind of testing, I guess, both like business models out simultaneously. Um, there's kind of, I guess, one interesting like analogy is 
in like web two software world uh, with things like CRMs. Uh, there's all these different like products on different like price points. They're all like CRMs. So kind of at the high end, you have something like a Salesforce, which is like really customizable. It's like this enterprise solution. Uh, they'll like help you customize things. They'll help you with the implementation. And on the lower end, you have something like a HubSpot, which is like a freemium tool uh, that you can use as your like CRM. And it's just like kind of self-service. Uh, so it could end up being, you know, we tend to end up, most of our business comes from that like higher end. So, you know, like we have this self-service open source tool, uh, but we're actually like also really working hands-on with team to like deep stuff. And in Web3, like good analogy is someone like Gauntlet, uh, where they charge like Ave hundreds of thousand dollars a year for like uh, this like risk modeling that they do and kind of these like pretty hands-on services, I'd assume. Um, and it's like very high value to Ave and like other customers. And it's like quite, quite bespoke as well. Um, and there's kind of, I assume some, yeah, some proprietary stuff in there as well. But I think like some of their stuff's also public in terms of what they do. So I think what's also interesting is that maybe a team doesn't run like a full infrastructure, but just parts of the, the architecture that's maybe more sensitive uh, for, for those alerts or need that real-time data. Um, and, and one question is then like what other crypto tooling or infrastructure uh, would Archiver actually be a good addition on or what other tooling do you like that would be a good addition um, or Archiver can be an addition to that tooling? What's a good, tough, tough question. I mean, I think it really depends again, like on, on your use case, like what are you building? Um, and it's like pretty pretty broad. Like tools can go all the way from you know like what do you how are you building like your smart contracts? Uh, I think yeah, like good good nodes and RPCs are really helpful for like everything from your know, like front end to like building front end, testing front end to smart contract development. Like if you're kind of doing testing on like forks, you want like a good RPC. Uh, so it's like pretty, pretty important thing. Uh, like, I don't know, like from, from our days running smart contracts, just like we wasted a lot of hours, like smart contract testing with bad, bad RPCs. Cause like your unit tests can actually like take, take a long time to run. Uh, and like automation stuff. I think there's like pretty good like solutions out there. Like Chainlink's really good. Uh, it's like Gelato, it's really good. Um, yeah, I think like interesting stuff that's coming out like right now, I think Eigenlayer stuff is super interesting, but I don't think it's like applicable to a lot of teams. Um, but it's just something that like I think is that I'm personally like keeping an eye on. Uh, yeah, I know. Do you guys have any like specific tools, infrastructure that you have in have in mind? Or 
No, I, I think you tapped into it quite well. Um, I think this this makes it easier for teams to understand what you don't do, um, but also what you could potentially help with, like the problems you've seen and how you solve that. Uh, for example, chain link with, with the oracles, like if the oracle doesn't come through, like you need some alerts and uh, which teams would need those alerts um, and what kind of alerts would you want? Uh, like just your experience operating uh, and, and these on-chain vaults has shown like there are a lot of um, responsibilities a team has, but also they're very dependent on on, on other providers or mm. other infrastructure that they basically don't have um, in themselves, um, which you know we like in, in some ways because it's decentralized, but you're still dependent on somebody else's infrastructure. Um, so you need to keep monitoring that. You need to um, maybe see in the data, like like incorporate that in your backtest. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing you can do that is by pooling the data uh, from from the chain. I think um, some data providers clean up some data, or you you make some assumptions with centralized exchange data, but then you operate on chain, and that's where possibly can break or like some some stuff deviates more or or less um than, than what you would expect from from other sources so um i think that's that's where uh why i liked um the data from from archive that i got from my script uh because it it was i i want to test with the data that was the most close with what i would be running mm-hmm. um and i think that's where in general, a lot of people who do back tests um, feel they 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 pick a data source that's similar, uh, but it's not the same. And you, you'll see that you maybe optimize on the wrong uh, parts, or you, you miss something that that might be quite essential in your execution. Um, and I think that's what you've done too, where you you've run these strategies on chain with uh, just to test whether all those assumptions were correct. Um, uh, so, so maybe you, you could talk a little bit about that. I think you right now have a, a, are, are building a open framework for backtesting on top of the archiver tooling, um, which I think teams might, might think are very helpful for, <laughs> for their, their on-chain strategies. Yes. I guess before we like pivoted because we were running these advanced on-chain strategies, we did spend a lot of time backtesting. And when you're backtesting things in Web3, uh, it is pretty annoying. Uh, like DeFi strategies, like I think one of the biggest pain points is just getting at, like reliable like source of data and you know, like the data that you want. Um, and if it's there are like some decent sources, but let's say it's like a new protocol or, or it's like a niche protocol or something or, you know, non-standard metric or yeah, you kind of want more granular data. Uh, there's not always easy ways to get that. Uh, so like archiver is one way, I think, to like plug in and yeah, essentially for like the backtesting, that open source library was really just a like pet project of uh, a co-founder, Sam. Uh, essentially, 
it was just something that he'd already been like build, building internally for us. We were using it as a tool. Uh, and I think over like one weekend, he was just like, oh, I'm just going to clean this code off a bit. So, you know, anyone, anyone can use it. Like you don't have to kind of plug it into Archiver, um, but you can plug it into Archiver as like the data source. You can just have like some other data source. Um, but essentially it's just like a framework where you can kind of run these back tests uh, for like various DeFi strategies and customize a bunch of stuff, uh, give some extra like tools like it hooks into like Grafana instance so you can like get dashboards tracking, you know, performance and other like key metrics of the strategy. Uh, yeah, essentially it was just something that we'd kind of built internally and we figured, ah, oh, we can spend a bit more time on this and just like use it as release it as an open source tool so any other team you know that is doing this they don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel they can uh take this and and run the back testing uh that they need to run i think that that seems quite central to all your tooling um that basically all these teams need to do the same actions like build similar infrastructure uh, pooling this data, uh, making it available to their application or to their users. Um, what's further on the roadmap? Like, like, how do you see Archiver and the rest of the tooling suite growing? Yeah, I think, like, right now, there's some, like, UX things that we want to, I guess, clean up before we get to, like, a public launch, because uh, right now, uh, the products, yeah, technically not not public. Although if someone did want to like use it, they could. Um, but yeah, it's kind of before we really like push hard and like try and like get a lot of people using it. There's some UX improvements. Um, but yeah, I think there's some pretty like interesting directions we can go um, to really make it do a lot of like cool stuff. So in terms of like DevX, uh, making it even better uh, with like just common libraries that you can access uh, within within Archive could be like pretty interesting thing. Uh, and then also common like data sets. So one idea that we've been talking about, one of our devs has, has been talking about and experimenting with is can he build essentially like an open source June where uh, you have like this ability for like anyone that's running a node to build on top of their node, uh, host like a version of June where data gets indexed and then it goes into something that they can like query and uh, run charts with. Uh, and that's like pretty, pretty interesting experiment. Then, yeah, like I think there's a few different avenues we can go down, like really going down, I'd say like the data science route um, could be interesting, but I think it's not necessarily a sweet spot. Uh, so I think we want to go more down like the dev angle um, and like focus on like DevX and then like other things like potentially we can do like even make it so you can start deploying archive jobs without writing a line of code. Uh, like 
have some like no code way of like actually doing like indexing data uh, is potentially something that's not not out of the realm of possibility. But yeah, our, our long-term roadmap is a bit bit all over the place at the moment. We kind of just have a bunch of different ideas. Uh, it's kind of how we've operated always. We're like, ah, okay, like here's some interesting experiments. Let's kind of do experiment A, B, and C. Uh, if like it gets good results, we can like further pursue that direction. If not, then maybe let's go a different direction. Uh, it sounds like that's the opportunity for teams too, that they can work with you guys to potentially get access to the tools they'd like to get made. Um, yeah. And you guys are seemingly really open to that. So, so that's very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bringing, bringing this to a close, uh, where can teams reach out to you and um, how maybe, yeah, maybe you can describe how they can get started using Archiver. Uh, so I'd say like best place to hit us up uh, would be just go, we've got to contact us uh, form on our website. Uh, also Telegram, I'm at DGenRobot on Telegram if anyone wants to DM me. Um, but yeah, I'd say like the archiver, it's like archiver.net. If anyone wants to learn more, they can go there. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to get started, just feel free to like message us. We're happy to like give you a demo of the product, uh, show you some examples. I'd say like right now, our docs are a bit of a mess. So uh, we encourage you to go go that route rather than uh, trying to like do things yourself. Uh, just like there's some features that we've built that we don't fully cover in the docs. And uh, yeah, like the, the examples aren't. As, as good as they're going to be. So uh, we're happy to like take anyone through, just like walk them through our products, how they work, how they can implement them, etc. Excellent. Okay, great. Well, Matt, it's been terrific catching up with you, hearing about the pivot and the awesome tools that you're building. Um, thanks so much for coming on and uh, listeners, hope you had a good time. Um, we'll put the links in the show notes. And uh, this was Aperture and Bruce at Deus Ex Dow. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Ex DAO podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research.